You're looking at the big picture with Edwin Eisentraff on WCPT 820. Okay, um, Simon Rosenberg is back. You know Simon. He's been on the show a bunch. He's a longtime Democratic strategist who is indefatigable. He's the man behind Hopium Chronicles, and you need to be part of that. Um, uh, take a listen. This is a great conversation. All right, so so Simon, you're everywhere. I, I've seen you on cable news shows and in print. Um, you're talking with organizers all over the country. That says two things to me. One is indisputable, and that is that you are incredibly knowledgeable and maybe the hardest working guy out there, and that is fabulous. <laughs> uh, but the other, and I want to get your take on this, is that is that um, people are are hungry really hungry for someone to show up with data and tell us that we can actually believe our own eyes and our own senses as opposed to the stream of gloom and doom that, you know, is the bought and paid for information that everybody's getting. And I, I, you know, they can mean they told us the big red wave was unstoppable. They told us inflation was coming down, but for how long they told us the economy was better, but maybe not, you know, and, and, and we all are starting to feel like, yeah, you know what? The economy is better. And, they didn't win the red wall thing. And you're just you're, you're coming out there and you're affirming reality. And I just think there's a huge hunger for that. Yeah, people are sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, and uh, people I, I, I talk about how I feel like a lot of my work is about giving people permission to love their country again. You know, and that which has been taken away from us. And so, look, my basic take on where things are now is that Joe Biden is a good president. The country's better off. The Democratic Party is strong in winning elections across the country. And they have Trump. And what I mean by they have Trump is that Trump is an historically weak and uh, figure. He's far weaker than he was in 2020. He's campaigning from the courthouse and not from the White House. He's degraded. He's far more degraded, extreme, and dangerous. His performance on the stump is far more erratic and unhinged and disturbing. He's making huge, like, traditional political mistakes by coming out against the ACA, for example, where there was no upside whatsoever for him to do that. And when I look at this election, I see us having a very strong argument for re-election. We're winning elections all over the country. And the Republican Party are making an enormous mistake by backing the most unfit man who's ever run for president in our history and who's far weaker than he was in 2020 and struggling in these in the early states. And so I feel good about where we are. we got a long way to go and a lot of work ahead of us, but I'd so much rather be us than them in every way possible. Yep. Um, I uh, really didn't want to talk about Trump, but let's stay with him just for a second. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we hear people to. talk about his victory in Iowa and New Hampshire. And they say, well, his campaign is better organized and he really owns the Republican party. Um, and people ask me, well, what, why should I not worry about that? And, you know, my response is you should worry about it, but we're going to win. And then I start to explain yeah. them why, but you're better at this than me. Could tell well, people so, why yeah. they should be concerned, yeah. but not panic. Yeah, because look, it's my view now as I've, been doing a lot of talking and commenting is that I think something, look, we won in 2018 and 2020 
Trump would not have won in 2016 without the help of Comey and the Russian government, right? I mean, he was 10 days out. He was five points down. He had done terribly in the debates. And then Comey came in and changed the election. Trump never had superpowers. Trump never had some kind of deep connection to the, to the working class voters in America. He's been a loser for his, you know, for for his entire, the MAGA is a losing politics. It's what it's what Nikki Haley said the other night. And we won in 2018 and 2020, and we took away the White House, the House, and the Senate. But then something dramatic happened in 2022 and 2023, which is the party in power in modern American history always loses seats. Right? We always we have bad midterms. We lose, yep. you know, off year elections, and and that didn't happen. The exact opposite's happened. We've actually gained ground. In 2022, in Arizona, Colorado, Georgia, Minnesota, Michigan, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, in 2023, we we took away Colorado Springs and Jacksonville, two of the high, biggest, the largest Republican-held cities in the country. We took away the Wisconsin Supreme Court seat, and hopefully, we're going to unravel the rancid redistricting in uh, Wisconsin. We took away the six-week abortion ban. In Ohio, we took away the Virginia State House and the hopes they had that the 15 week abortion ban would be a safe haven for them. And just in the last few days, elected the first black speaker in the, in the capital of the Confederacy in all of Virginia's history. We took all sorts of stuff away from them in the last two years and did far better than expected. And it's my view that the reason that's happening is because I think the Republican Party broke. When Dobbs happened, that something fundamentally broke inside the Republican Party, where this party of Trump and MAGA had become so unattractive and so ugly, even to Republican voters. And they have struggled with performance and elections in every election after 2022. And now in this basic dynamic that I talk about it. Since Dobbs, the strong overperformance for the Democrats wherever we look and, str- and struggle for Republicans is now playing out in 2024, right? Trump in Iowa, anemic turnout, unbelievably low turnout in a after they spent $100 million in a very competitive Iowa caucus. He got 56,000 votes in Iowa. 700,000 registered Republicans didn't vote for Donald Trump last week, right? That's a Simon, huge I looked number. at that. And yeah. I just like, yeah. they, what is all the attention for? He got three Chicago wards. Right. No, it's, it's, it's listen. And so just let's talk, though, to your point about the reality setting, right? Forgetting about yep. the way this has been covered. And then, and then the second thing that happened is that last, on Tuesday, he got, he came in 10 to 15 points below public polling. Right. I mean, it was an incredibly disappointing performance for him, given where all the public polling was. And Haley did well enough that she's staying in the race, which is a huge problem for him. So Donald Trump in the first few weeks is coming out of the box weak and struggling, not strong and powerful. And the second thing is that we know that there is unbelievably big flashing warning signs in the polling in the last two weeks for Republicans. The two things that everyone is focusing on and they're right to focus on it. One is is that 20, 30, 40% of Republicans who voted in Iowa, New Hampshire, these are primary voters, right? These aren't broad Republicans. Uh, so very committed uh, voters said that some of the things that Trump has done, the crimes that he's committed would be disqualifying for him in their mind, meaning that there's a potential for a mass to, potential for mass defection from Trump in this election. The second thing, and I've talked to other political strategists about this, 
fact that more Haley voters in Iowa said that they would vote for Biden over Trump, I think, is unprecedented in the modern era of polling. I don't know that there's ever been a case where there is a, a big chunk of one party that is willing to go vote for the nominee of the other party in the election year. And it shows, again, how much trouble Trump is in. In 2022, all these Trumpy candidates in the battlegrounds, you know, won their primaries, struggled to bring along the non-MAGA part of the party, couldn't pull their coalition back together, and they lost. And that's the likely scenario in 2024, that Trump is the the non-MAGA part of the Republican Party is already expressing enormous dissatisfaction and discontent for Trump. And we don't need to win all of them. Right. And if we just get a quarter of those voters, we win this election by five, six, seven, eight points in, in November. And to me, that's the likely scenario at this point, given the data that we're seeing, given the experience that we had in 2022 and 2023, and given the fact we've also just watched Trump with our own eyes, and we see how diminished and degraded he is from 2020, and how awful he is as a candidate, and how strong the country is doing under Joe Biden. So when you put all that together, I'm very optimistic. And I think, you know, gang, we got to go out and do the work and go win this thing together. So I, I think that analysis is, as you would imagine, spot on. But it raises a different kind of question. And that is, okay, given that they have a likely nominee who is incredibly weak, um, deeply damaged, and likely to get more damaged between now and the election, um, how is it that the leadership in the Republican Party, you know, doesn't want to put some distance between themselves and that they would walk away from a border deal to protect him, that they would send their National Guard troops, the governors down to Texas in order to keep this sort of MAGA fantasy going. You know, in our party, when we've had presidential candidates who weren't just the strongest out there all over the country, Democrats Sometimes I didn't want them to. You know, they said self-preservation, man, I'm going to get off this this truck. That's not happening to them, the Republicans. They're going to go down. They're going to go over the cliff together. Let's see what happens. I mean, it's as you pointed out, it's really early. I think that in the Republican Party, Trump is this incredibly towering, powerful figure. But I think if you were an average Republican voter and you watched his performance, on Tuesday night, you were watching Fox News for his big speech, and then you watched him throw this temper tantrum and behave like a petulant, spoiled child, which is what he is, right? You're looking at that like, man, I don't know, where's that Trump guy that I thought was going to be this towering figure? He came off as kind of pathetic and weak and diminished and, my, and petty, right? And so I, I don't really know... I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. What, I'm not an re- expert inside of Republican politics. And I but I think that this notion that, you know, a month from now, Biden could be up by four or five points in all the national polling and Trump looks like an incredibly damaged candidate. I think it's why Haley, what happens with Haley is so interesting right now. I mean, she is having a lot of fun right now. She feels like she's achieved way beyond her expectations. She's getting, you know, her super PAC raised more money than by, than Trump's super PAC did in the second half of last year. You know, she's made the case. She's in this thing through Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday 
majority of the states are either open primaries or are semi-open primaries, meaning that independents and Democrats can vote, you know, for her. And so, you know, I think she's going to go for it. And I don't think we really know what's going to happen here. I mean, I I think the fact that Trump is now trying to force the RNC to declare mm-hmm. him the nominee without him actually having enough delegates, these are <laughs> things that feel desperate, right? This isn't strong and, for, you know, in a towering figure. This feels like desperate, pathetic weak and you just keep feeling weak pathetic desperate in every way when you look at trump he seems that way i don't know what's going to happen i you know i have this listen edwin i have this growing belief that there's a chance the supreme court bars him from running because i think so too by the way I, I think I, so, too. First of all, the, the legal case is kind of open and shut, to be honest. And and it, there's really not – this is not a complicated legal case. It's really about politics. I think one of the reasons Trump is trying to shut down the nominating the nomination process is that he wants to go into the Supreme Court case as the nominee. He doesn't want to go in as a, as a candidate because there is a chance, and he knows this, right – that the the secret powers behind the Republican Party now have an escape hatch with him. And if he's struggling and his performance is ridiculous and he's spending more time in the courtroom, he's been found, a jury of his peers determined that he's a rapist, you know, a court has determined that he, um, you know, that he committed massive financial fraud, right? $380 million that, you know, they have an escape hatch now, right? The court could could bar him from running. And then well, all I of a sudden Haley, you know, becomes the nominee or there's a DeSantis gets back in. But I'm yep. not saying that is the likely scenario. But I also think that based on his the clear warning signs of the weakness of his candidacy, there has to be growing panic in the non-Trump cult part of the Republican Party right now. And, and particularly when Trump is now openly defying the Supreme Court. Right. Which is something that he may do if they bar him from running. Right. Is this a precursor to him setting a precedent that that he feels the Supreme Court doesn't have dominion over him and his party? I, I don't know. I don't know all of this. I mean, I think these Texas are sure fascinating questions. Yeah. It I mean, sure what, feels that well, way, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. I mean, this is a party that is the, the MAGA party. <clears throat> and I and I think that is the Republican Party today. Maybe the remnants will have a have a their battle of the bulge yet, but um, they have they're operating outside of normal politics. I mean, if they said on immigration, you know what, forget it. We didn't mean to negotiate with you because we're not negotiating. <laughs> that doesn't count. You know, in Texas, they they're the Supreme Court said you can't do what you're doing in Eagle Pass. They're doing it. By the way, five to four vote. What was that about? Yeah, no, but I think that that's, I mean, who knows about the politics of trading votes inside the court, right? And, but the, but listen, I I think, I just want to say again, getting, removing ourselves from sort of the right wing noise machine influence daily discourse that happens in the media. The Republicans had an opening on on the border and immigration. They had an opening, right? Biden had struggled a little bit with this issue. His numbers are not so good on it. It is a secondary issue. I think one of the reasons the Republicans are focusing it on so much is that on the issues that really matter right now, the economy, inflation, the deficit, and everything else, Biden is doing really well, right? So they've lost 
some of their core talking points that they've been using. They can't attack them for a war on energy because we had the highest domestic oil production in the history of the country, right? Many of their core talking points, crime, energy, the economy, have evaporated in the last few months because of the successful Biden presidency. So what they're doing in our business and the way that we talk about this is they're now moving down to second-tier issues. Immigration has been a second-tier issue in our politics for 20 years. You know, when Donald Trump tried to turn it into a primary issue, a top-tier voting issue in 2018, he spent the last month of the election talking about border the caravans, and we won that election by eight and a half points because at the end of the day, you know, immigration and border may be important, but there are other things that are more important, the economy, inflation, you know, health care, and so on. And so the Republicans have never been able to turn the border and immigration into a mainstream voting issue in the general electorate. And I think the reason they're focusing on it right now is that all these other ways they had of attacking Biden have evaporated. And so they're now doubling down. And of course, because they're a party that's been overtaken by extremism and extremists, they're blowing it. Right. The fact that Donald Trump is now being discussed for telling people, no, we want the border to stay open. And that now that they've done this, you know, they're ignoring Supreme Court orders, they look like a crazy party. Instead of looking like the party of we're going to fix the border, we're going to make sure that there's an orderly legal immigration system, they're now looking like lawless lunatics. And so any attempt that they had to take advantage of this opening they had, like virtually everything else, it's like what happened with book banning, everything else, they always overplay their hand. Uh, with the public because they actually are an extremist party. I don't know how this is going to play out, but if you're telling me that for the next 10 months, Donald Trump is going to go to the American people and say, I want Putin to win and the West to lose. I want the border to stay open. I want more kids to die in schools. I want the planet to warm faster. I want 16 year old kids to be working overnight shifts and meat packing plants and not going to high to high school. I want, you know, tax cuts for my donors and higher deficits and less for everybody else. If you think that they're going to go to the American people with that kind of agenda for the next 10 months and win, you're crazy, right? And so I think that this position they're in right now is they're doing something that's impulsive. It's not strategic. And because they cannot, and I think what they're doing is they're taking what is right now their mo- their best issue against Biden and they're, and they're lighting it, they're lighting themselves on fire. And, yeah. and that's because that's who they are. I don't know what that means though from a governing standpoint, but, but politically, do not believe for a moment that for general election swing voters, this looks like the Republican Party is doing rational and sane things right now because they aren't. And I think they're hurting themselves terribly. So again, I come back to this basic thing that I think since Dobbs, something has broken fundamentally inside the Republican Party and and that they're going to they continue to struggle as a national governing force. Yeah. So so in it, I was smiling from like ear to ear hearing you, you know, sort of talk yeah. about the, the, what they stand for today. Right. Just it's appalling. And they are going to go to the American people and they're and they're sort of going to say those things. But they're but this was the other problem we have today, which is. Um, there isn't a the media. There are many media out there, and a lot of Americans don't hear them, right? We have um, – so, so this gets at the job that you are exhorting us all to have in the next 10 months, and that is to make sure that, that you know, 
reality is something that people get a chance to see. And I think reality always wins in the end, but sometimes it takes a while. And so the reality that, in fact, they're the extremist, uh, 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 irresponsible, petulant, infantile, puerile, I guess, better word, party, um, is going to take some time for that to sink into the people who watch Fox News, and they've been calling us that for decades, right? So we have a... We may may, remember, Edwin, is that 40% of the electorate is unavailable to us, right? But 60% is available to us. And I'll take 60-40. Yeah, I'll take 60-40. I think that's what it is. And I think our goal should be to get to 55% in this election, as you and I have discussed before. And let me just read, I put out in my Hopium Chronicles post today, let me just read to you what the Republican, I did a piece of it, but let me just read to you what I wrote. I just pulled it up about what the Republican agenda really is right now. They want Putin to win and the West to lose, the border to stay open, the economy to crash, women, people of color to lose more freedoms and rights, the planet to warm faster, 10-year-olds to carry their rapist baby to term and for more women to die on an operating room table, tens of millions to lose their health insurance, more dead kids in schools, a restoration of pre-civil rights era white supremacy, big tax cuts for their donors, higher deficits and less for everyone else, books banned across the U.S., teenagers to work night shifts and meatpacking plants and not go to school, the minimum wage to stay at 725, mass arrests and mass deportations of immigrants long settled in the United States, insurrections to get pardoned, to end American democracy for all time. If we can't beat that, this year, given that that's actually what they're really for. You know, I mean, I will tell you, my friends who are listening today, the contrast, the, the, what we call in our business, the negatives that we have to use against them are unlike that any group of political strategists and operatives have ever had in modern American history, because we have all that. And then we also have all those new misdeeds of Trump which were not things that people didn't know about in 2020, right? They didn't know he had yep. raped Gene Carroll in the department store. He didn't know that they had committed fraud and stolen American secrets and betrayed the country and taken more money from foreign governments than any person in American history. This is a big, ugly, horrible mess. I don't think the Republicans could put lipstick on this Trump pig and sell this guy in 2024. But what's important is to do what you talked about, which is we must speak the truth. We cannot allow this right-wing noise machine influenced fake world, what Greg Sargent calls Foxlandia, right, mm-hmm. to be the way that we we have to liberate ourselves from that world and go into this world of truth and share this world of truth and reality. As painful as it's going to be, we're going to have to talk about Donald Trump raping somebody. These are hard conversations to have, right? But we need to have them because we have an obligation as patriots, as people who love our country, to tell our fellow citizens the truth. That is our core obligation as citizens to be truthful with one another about who we, where the country is and what, and what is in front of us. And I yep. do think that we, we can build this network of information warriors, as you mentioned, two to three million people. What I'm calling on the campaign to do, and I have met with the campaign, I've discussed this with them, I've written them memos. We need to reimagine the war room in this election. I helped build the last war room. I was there in, in Little Rock. This war room needs to be not 20 sweaty kids drinking Red Bulls and producing TikTok videos. We need to have two to three million proud patriots who are wired into the campaign, amplifying the good works of Joe Biden and the Democrats, 
reaching 10, 20, 30 million people a day just through our networks and to start drowning out this right-wing noise machine on the other side. We have more agency and power, I believe, than we understand. And it's why the, the work that you do, Edwin, here is so critical. And everyone is listening. Spreading good work, the news through your networks is how we beat MAGA. MAGA wants you to feel bad about your country, your president, your democracy, your leaders, your institutions, each other. It's a negative sentiment machine. We beat MAGA by putting positive information, by loving into our discourse, by loving our country, loving one another, being proud of our president, proud of our country, proud of our party. That's how we win. And so I am, I am really confident that right now, this election that I'm describing is becoming more clear in people's minds. Strong Joe Biden, weak Donald Trump, right? Successful Democratic presidency, terror, you know, a terrible Republican, you know, presidential candidate. That contrast that I think we need to establish is becoming clearer and clearer every day. And Edwin, thank you for yeah. your work helping bring this all no. about. Oh, I know, I love it. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, earlier on this show, I had folks on from Swing Left and last week um, from um, uh, the Progressive Turnout Project, all uh, ways to help people, people who don't want to say I'm part of the Democratic Party, but who believe that this is a moment we have to come together uh, to beat Donald Trump, to just give them on ramps, you know, ways that they can do exactly what you're saying, become truth tellers. Um, in this in this process for the next 10 months? Well, listen, for anyone who's listening today, if you want to, what I talk about in my Hopium community is we need to do more and worry less, right, is the line I'm using. If you want to do more, there's one thing we need everybody to help with, which is that we have a special election in New York 3 on February 13th. It's the George Santos seat. We can flip that seat. Um, Tom Suozzi, a former congressman, is running. He's ahead in the polls. If he gets the money he needs and the volunteers to help drive turnout, um, you know, we're going to win there. And that's going to be a big national story that we flipped a Republican seat at the beginning of the election. If you go to my Hopium site, the Hopium Chronicles dot com, you can learn how to you can watch an interview I did with Tom on Wednesday. You can learn how to donate and volunteer. You can make calls from Illinois into, you know, into into New York three. You can text yep. people there. Just talk to Democrats. It's the easiest kind of work. We need your help. I mean, we we will win there as we won in Orlando, Florida last week. And as we will win, I think, in New York three, if we do the work, we'll win. If we do the work for Biden, we'll win. It's time now for people to start making decisions about how they're going to spend their time and money in this election cycle. The most important thing you can do this weekend is to help Tom Swazi, you know, win in New York three. I agree with that. Um, I want to talk to you about something else that I know you care about, and I do too. Um, and that is that I think we both see the potential for uh, some unbelievable change in North Carolina. And I know you're helping um, Anderson Clayton, sort of the new-ish now, but uh, yeah. head of the Democratic Party down there, reimagine um, how a Democratic Party in a state like North Carolina connects to the people in that state. And it's pretty stunning what uh, what she's already achieved. Yeah, listen, we North Carolina, I, all of my work this cycle, I'm, I'm framing it under the concept of growth and expansion because I think MAGA's extremism is giving us an opportunity to take demographic and geographic real estate away from them as we did throughout 2022 and 2023. 
And to me, the most important expansion state this cycle is North Carolina. We need to expand the presidential map. We have a critical governor's race there against one of the wildest and craziest MAGA candidates the world has ever seen. We've got a very good candidate, Josh Stein, who's running as governor. This is one of the few states that has a governor's race this cycle. We need to win North Carolina. I've looked at lots and lots of polling. We can win. But we need a very strong party, and and the Biden campaign needs to come in. And we happen to have elected this dynamic and charismatic and very capable new chair. She's 25 years old. On the Hopium site, you can see an interview I've done with her, learn how to volunteer and give money. Yeah, I'm making a huge commitment to North Carolina and Anderson. I mean, she's terrific. And I think that, you know, to me, when you look at the six other big battleground states, in Arizona, we have a Democratic governor. And Constantly with a Democratic governor, a Democratic governor in Pennsylvania and in Michigan, right? And, and, you know, that to me, we have a lot of Democratic assets in these other states. We have less in North Carolina. And so I'm trying to direct early resources and volunteers in to give her more capital to make investments, mm-hmm. to make it more likely that we, we flip North Carolina, turn it blue. Turn Carolina blue, right? That's what they all say down there. Yep. So I, I think we I think we can do it, and I appreciate your continuing to echo that. To me, that's one of the most important projects in the next few months as we gear up for the general election. You, um, gosh, I can't believe it. We don't have much time left. Uh, you you I know, started I got a little opium. chatty today. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, it's yeah. great. We, we, you started Opium Chronicles just not that long ago. But it's grown amazingly into a sort of stunning resource for Democrats and for people who are supporting, you know, the Biden administration and, and Democrats across the country this year. Um, and, you know, you've built this strong community. Seriously, could you did you imagine did you really think it was going to have this success, this kind of explosive success? Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't. And, I, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm, it's, I'm managing, you know, it's a beast, you know, I mean, I have 33,000 new friends that I didn't have before. And, you know, as you know, cause you run a community as well is that, you know, I try to answer every email and every message that I get on. It's really important. It's getting a little bit harder than it used to because of the growth, but I, but it's important to, I think we can end by the way you began, Edwin, is that, that people want to believe again in America. They want to believe that this awful Trump era is not somehow the harbinger of our future, but something that we can put into the dustbin of history. They were embarrassed and shamed and humiliated by him and his, and his prominence. And they want, they want the America that you and I grew up in, the, the love of country that was so common for so many people, I think, when we were all growing up. And I often talk about how one of the greatest gifts that we have to try to give to our children is the kind of love of country that many of us had when we were growing up, which is very hard to do right now, given that one of our two political parties has gone crazy. And there's a a very dangerous man who's going to reassert control over one of our two parties. But I think that what I have found in my work and in the talks I give to communities all across this country is this profound love of country and patriotism and hope and optimism and willingness to do the work to make tomorrow better. I mean, I talk about how hopium to me is hope with a plan. We just didn't want, we didn't hope the elections were going to be better in 2022. We did the work to make it so, right? We don't hope that 2024 is going to be a good election. We're doing the work to make it so. And I, I think that my own 
belief in the fundamental kind of de Tocquevillian democratic project of the United States has been strengthened through my journey. I think when we come out the other side of this awful Trump era, this democracy is going to be renewed and revitalized and stronger than it's ever been. I really believe that. But what we need to do is we need to get there together. And that means winning this election and hopefully winning it by a lot to sort of to put Trump and MAGA into the dustbin of history to loosen its dark grip on the Republican Party. That has to be our aspiration and our goal, right? Which is why everyone has to work as hard as they can, is that it's not just about winning, it's about running up the score and winning big and making this election a clear repudiation of this terrible politics, which is why everything you do, every text you make, every phone call you do, every postcard you write, every donation you make, every door that you knock on, it all matters because every time you do that, you're reminding the other side about the power of the people of the United States who are out there fighting to protect their democracy. What could be more affirming about the democratic project than this explosion of citizen activism that we've seen? Um, because our successes in these elections have not been top down. And when they've been bottom up, they've been people driven. And it's I think that I'm and I come away every day energized, inspired by the people that I'm meeting along the way. Who are fighting with everything they got to make sure that freedom and democracy don't slip away on their watch. And all I'm trying to do is to give them more tools to be more effective at the work that they do. Now, that's got to be our last word because we're out of time. But Simon, as always, I really appreciate that you take the time in your incredibly busy schedule to spend some time with me and with uh, the folks who are listening. Thank you, Edwin. And thanks to all of you for everything you do. Well, how about that? That was pretty great. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then I want to hear from you. Edwin Eisentrath is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. The Big Picture is on now. WCPT 820. 